Well, look at this. This is completely flipped. You are not looking at Jordan opening the show. You're looking at Victor Medina. Some of you don't even know who I am and trying to figure out why I'm even opening the show. But here's the thing. You all have been watching episodes of this that Jordan's been leading, interviewing great people. And I got a hold of him and I said, well, you don't understand. Everybody wants to hear from you. And it's not just because Jordan's the host, but because he's so successful at doing business and doing life. He has a law firm that he and his wife own that has not only provided uh, a great living in terms of being successful, but also afforded him the opportunity to start a second company that's successful called Legalese Marketing. And on top of that, both of those things have been operating so well that he could take off almost an entire year traveling the country with his family. And it's not just that he's hitting all of those points, but if you're friends with him on social media, you know, not only does he love his family, but his family actually kind of loves him too. A little bit strange in the world of attorneys that they're used to that. And everyone needs to talk to Jordan as the subject of an episode just to see how it all gets done. So I'm opening the show. I'm hosting it. And your guest today is Jordan Ostraw. Welcome, Jordan. Thanks so much for having me, man. That was a great intro. <laughs> well, I've been looking forward to doing it. It is completely sincere and genuine on my part. You know, a lot of the things that I talk to other people about doing, specifically lawyers and business owners, to the extent that I have somebody that's not a lawyer coming into that is, you know, how is it that you set yourself up to do a great life? And I've always admired that about you, even though you're not in one of my coaching programs, even though you're not a coaching client of mine, you have hit all of the milestones of what I would want for somebody. And so when I see that from the outside, you're somebody to be admired. And I think that um, I am completely sincere in all the words that I say, because I look at from the outside, be like, I think this guy's nailed it. And I'm really, really uh, uh, not jealous is the wrong word. You're younger than I am. So I'm jealous of the fact that you did it before I did it. And so that way, I, won't, I think everyone should be talking to you about it. Well, thank right, you. I so mean, let's... look, if we can uh, if we can provide some value and help somebody else down a, uh, a better path, let's do it. All right. So let's start with this. Uh, we're both superhero fans, comic book fans. Uh, what is your three or four paragraph origin story? How did we arrive to this superhero status? What were you bit by in terms of radioactive spider? I so raised Jewish, although in my immediate family, I'm the first lawyer. Okay. As as far as I can tell, everybody will confirm I said I wanted to be a lawyer. No clue what that meant. Eventually, I found out you just argue with people and try to prove them that you were correct, at which point my family said, no, we knew that. And we knew you were going to make a great lawyer because you argued with us, like literally in-home videos, arguing with my parents. So God bless them that they uh, they survived and allowed me to survive during that time frame. Uh, came up to Orlando to go to UCF, did mock trial there. Stayed in Orlando to go to Barry, did mock trial there, was a prosecutor in Orlando. And then at one point got bit by the uh, the entrepreneurial bug. And we're like, I'm going to open up my own firm. Let's see how this goes. So I uh, honored my three plus year commitment to the state and surprised my wife. She didn't think I was going to pull the trigger so quickly. And I was out starting Jordan Law. And uh, here we are seven and a half years later. So let me ask this question. I am fond of saying that most lawyers who start their own firms are bitten by an independence or in I'm going to be autonomous and no one's going to tell me what to do bug first before they're actually thinking about things as a business owner. Which was it for you? Ooh, all right. I so you're correct in that clarification. I definitely did not know anything about a business in any way, shape, or form. Um, I enjoyed my time at the state attorney's office. I had a ton of flexibility on my cases. 
I guess really, I just didn't want to make $49,000 a year working, you know, full time, sending people to prison for life with super serious cases. Like there was never a break from not the work itself, but the seriousness of the cases. And so I thought going in criminal defense, I hoped I would make more, but also the idea of having misdemeanors on a couple of days and life felonies on other days and DUIs here, like having a little bit more of that mix. I think I thought I would enjoy that more. Okay. And so you started out in that practice area. Was it lucrative? Were you successful? When did you start adding the personal injury component of it? So was it lucrative? Yes, at first. Was it successful? No, because I spent the money faster than it came in. So I had been in Orlando for like 10 years at that time, undergrad law school as a prosecutor. I knew a ton of people, even though I didn't know what networking really was or how to provide value to referral sources and whatnot. Um, so I brought in probably a couple hundred grand over my first, uh, like on pace over my first year. And I was like, oh, this will be great. I'll hire like a marketing company and this will be gangbusters. And that was not the case to put it mildly. Meaning that it was money wasted and it didn't go gangbusters or it just didn't go as quickly as you wanted. Uh, so in my kid was born on March 2nd of 2018. Okay. So in the January 1st, 2018, I cut like $135,000 year marketing budget down to $0. And for the year of 2018, my firm made $5,000 less than we did in 2017. Wow. So not to say that the marketing was, was that bad. It was bad, but I was able to grow a firm organically to offset all of the crap that I was wasting on direct mail and buying leads and pay-per-click and you know whatever else at the time. Well, and that's the thing because, you know, moving into, if that was really more of the, where you were spending dollars in terms of the personal injury side versus the criminal defense side, but I think both can be uh, crowded areas, but to be a personal injury attorney in Florida, I, I think is to be, you know, kind of one of many people. I think we were joking pre-shows, like one of the people that goes to Disney's, like everyone is there, you can stumble over them. So for you to uh, recognize early that you didn't have to keep chasing in terms of investing those dollars, was probably a really wise move in terms of avoiding bankruptcy or whatever it was, or, or just growing such a machine that the funnel of what you were putting in just required that to just be fed forever. And yet you begin a marketing company. So where's the connection between stopping spending any marketing dollars, working on things that were organic, but then translating that into services that you likely were taking advantage of on your own and now wanted to offer to other people? Because I was missing the entire foundation that all that stuff should be built upon. I had no idea who my ideal client was. I didn't know what success would look like when it came to this. I didn't have a consistent sales process. I wasn't tracking things well enough to make the changes. I was tracking them well enough to know I was wasting so much money, but not to know what to do about it. And so there's like this entire consulting foundational sales process, whatever you want to call it that you need to have in place so that you can advertise well, or so that you know who your best referral sources are, or that you close leads at a viable uh, rate to actually make money off of it. And I did none of those things. And nobody told me to do any of those things. So this is really interesting because when I go to Legalese Marketing's website and I follow the walkthrough about you know, the learning about you or then taking the next steps or learning about the services, it's kind of broken down into these two areas. You've got your CRM and your automation side, and then you have your traditional, I think you're calling marketing effort side. And I think some people would look at that as from a business consultant standpoint, but like those two disparate activities, like here's one that's creative, here's one objective and standards and process driven. 
yet you've combined them and you make them essential. So my guess is that you think that they're interrelated and need to be. And so the question is, do you and why? Like, why is those two things connected? Dude, I yes, I, I lived it. I mean, look, here's the thing. Google, it, let's let's go Google ads as an example. It's the easiest one. So Google's really cool. They have static ads and dynamic ads. So in essence, it's like the Chinese takeout menu. You can put in a couple of different adjectives. It'll run different iterations of them. So five different words in a couple spots might get you 75 different ads. And Google's going to try to figure out how to get you the cheapest clicks from that. It will genuinely work a little you know, AI algorithm, whatever for you. But okay. cheapest clicks does not necessarily mean best cases. So by having ad A, go to landing page A, going to contact form A, you can see what percentage of those clients show up to a consult, what percentage of them have the right need, what percentage of them pay you what you ask for, sign up. You can really figure out what the ideal case is. And so that's why, you know, by having that CRM, you can track it and you get a consistent sales process. And then you basically get to play scientific method with the marketing because you know that once it gets into the funnel, it's going to go the same way. Instead of, if this sounds like any of you, it was me, uh, you're not busy. You call all your leads a bunch. You sign up a bunch of cases. You get busy. You stop calling people. You don't sign them up. You don't get busy. You call them and you get those huge ebb and flows, which makes it impossible to know if any of your marketing is successful because you've completely changed the signup process based upon if you're free or not. And so yeah. we do this whole thing to build out this consistent foundation of the sales process to track the leads, to do, you know, to do the follow-ups, to get people signed up so that you can actually know what marketing makes sense. Yeah. And I kind of hear two things in that. I think the first one is what you've talked about, which is have the actual data that's in front of you to make smart decisions. And so this is the reason why you would want to be in front of uh, putting both of those pieces in place, you know, kind of watching what the tracking is and uh, going to be able to change the thing that's creative that might feed it and then be responsive to it. But the other thing that you talked about, which I think is also more of a, I don't call it an advanced topic, but I would say that lawyers are slower to get there. I actually think that you've done a ninja trick in terms of offering these services is that you've thought about it like it's a system inside of a pipeline. And lawyers don't typically get to that as the way that they create their firm. They think that it's made out of whole cloth. They think that the work that they do is most brilliant when it's not customized. And yet, you know, they'll be in there but like, well, I take these interrogatories from this section and my, you know, uh, my, um, geez, I haven't, I haven't litigated anything so long that I can't even remember what the, there's a motion to dismiss. Oh, a motion for summary judgment. Here's my summary judgment standard. And I'm going to go and put that in there. So they'll use some of that, but they won't systemize it. They'll go and open an old word document and copy and paste, and they can't connect it together. So I have two questions from that. First, was that always the way that you were wired was to be thinking about it in that way? And then the second is, do you find it difficult to get lawyers that are clients of legalese to latch on to the, can I just set it up to run on its own and let it move from there? So from a system, I mean, look, I, I learn from fuck ups. So from a system standpoint, it was not having them in place that taught me how important they were. You know, okay. I got my firm up to 15 people. I've never been more miserable in my entire life. I was working, I was still working 68 hours a week. I was making no money. We were $200,000 in debt. My wife told me she was pregnant with our kid. I thought, awesome, this is amazing. And then five seconds later was like, how the fuck are we going to do this? Like, right. there's not enough money. There's not enough time. There's not any of it. Um, so systems and really the technology of, of Lawmatics, 
or, you know, a similar CRM is what really helped me turn it around because it forced everybody into the same sort of program. Like you actually had to go out of your way to not do things the right way because of how much was automated, systematized, standardized. Yeah. Um, from a client perspective, I want to say no, but, and I say that from the standpoint of like, if you're coming to legalese, you probably know who I am, or you heard one of us speak at an event, or you came to us at a booth and you realize we were talking about this kind of stuff. So like, I'm not getting a lot of leads from people that aren't interested in having the technology in some manner, having the CRM in some manner, having the sales process, because that's really our unique selling proposition is giving you that holistic sales and marketing view to maximize it. So it saves us a lot of the overcoming objections of, do I need this? And for the people that still have that problem, they just don't hire us, which cool. I don't blame them. And and I think that you've done something really brilliant there too, because uh, I would imagine that by the time that you've come, they've come to you, it's not a cold lead. Like I've never thought of this. Me, most probably imagine that most of the people that are coming in there are saying, yeah, I've always wanted to get it done. I knew it was something that needed to get done. And then what you're offering is actually the implementation. There's brilliant strategy behind it. But the idea that they should have something in place was not what was novel to them. It was that they couldn't ship it, you know, either that they were trying to get it done on their own or they tried to learn the system or, you know, there's some barrier to it. And you actually give them the, I, we can get it done for you. And we're all about getting it done for you. And I think that's probably a big value too to what you present to them and saying, I'm just going to write a check. Can we just get this done? Because I know that I, I need to get it done as uh, quickly as possible. Is there a standard time that, People will see a return um, either, you know, not necessarily like pay me X dollars, get Y dollars back, but that they'll see a transformation because that they've put that in place. Like, oh, this is a different life altogether. Is there some like, you know, standard bit of time where they say, is it immediate? Is it something that takes three, six months before they're in place? Is like, this world is different for me now? Uh, So that's a great question. So here's the thing for me. If you are in a rush and desperate with your firm, you're going to make different decisions. And I can't fault you. Like if you have trouble making payroll, you need the decisions now. If you're going to take the long view though, I genuinely want you to like have the system in place and not mess with it for three months. Just get three months of, of, of baseline data. Now let's start playing with it. Let's rewrite some of the emails. Let's speed up the way these things happen. Let's change some of the marketing language. And then see if, you know, close rate goes from 40% to 50%. And then, all right, for the next three months, let's make these changes. Now, if we go from 50% to 48%, we undo those and we try different things. Like it's going to be a constant iteration because it's an art at the end of the day. People change, tech changes, marketing changes. But having this in place allows you to utilize all of it for your benefit going forward, even if it was what not to do because it ruined your numbers or it lowered your numbers. Yeah. Yeah, my experience has been that um, lawyers live on ends of a spectrum. You know, either they're of the type that it's like squirrel, I want, I want it faster. They're going to jump from one to the other and they lack patience in that area. Or they're on the other side that they're just like donkeys and they're trying to drag them in one direction. But I think very few of them are in that middle that they can really be thoughtful and contemplative about it. And I think you hit on something which I would agree with also, which is their vision can only be uh, which is dictated by their cash flow, right? So if they're trying to get to the next week or to the next month, 
you can't think about things in three month increments or four month increments, you know, or six months increments to what you're doing because um, you just don't have the bandwidth. It's not an investment for you at that point in time. It is a, essentially um, a reaction, either reaction because you're in too much pain in one area or too much pain in the other area, but you're not thinking about it sort of tactically uh, along the way. Uh, my hope is that more and more lawyers get to that middle part, but I just don't know what it takes for them either. They need to get to some level of success to be able to uh, have that patience. Um, maybe they're a little bit older and gone, gone through things, but like, well, that didn't work six times. Let me try uh, another one. Um, you mentioned something that was interesting to me. Can I, which wait, is can I reframe that for a second? Yeah, please. Yeah. Because let me, I, or I guess, let me give a, a specific example. If you are a PI firm and you are struggling and your thought process on marketing to get more cases now is to start a YouTube channel, those things are probably not in aligned because you need the time to build up the brand, to build up the recognition, to get the leads. And then when your cases come in, they're not paying you for six months, 12 months, 18 months. Right. So in those situations, like I'll talk people out of those things and say, look, you need to run ads. You need to run local service ads. You need to run Google ads. You need to run Facebook ads. You've got this market. You need stuff now. However, at the point that you have three cases a month coming in, five cases a month coming in, now let's put some of that in so that you're not at the mercy of um, advertising 100% for everything all the time. Because then when you know the big firm three towns over comes in and all of your costs just doubled, you can afford it because you've got some of the brand recognition, you've got some of the social media presence, you've got some of the referral sources. And so really having that conversation with people over time is what allows you long-term success. So basically it's more like a, having a strategy discussion. We've got to put these in particular orders. Like, where are you? You could be flush that has a long-term vision because you've already shored up the things that are coming in short-term and regularly. And now what you want to do is you want to reduce your overall cost. We can, excuse me, deal with that. But if you're having a struggle to meet something that's in the short term, then to the extent you have anything to invest, let's meet that need first, shore that up, and then play the longer game of trying to reduce the overall cost for them or make something that can be more perpetual as opposed to reactive. Is that, is that fair? Yep. Nice. Um, you mentioned something that I wanted to explore a little bit more, which is that you'd grown this team size to 15 miserable with your life. And that was the pain that got you to reorder what you were doing. What component of that was um, dictated by the leadership style that you wanted or you didn't have, the hiring that you've done to it? And did it change at all once you had built the firm different, that you either were bringing in different people or you were different coming into that? Um, so let me, I don't want to manage. I don't want to micromanage. I don't want to macromanage. I guess, <laughs> let me rephrase. I want to macromanage, but truly like, this is the vision. These are the goals. Go, go on and do your thing. Come to me with questions. You know, don't silo communication. Right. My problem was there was nobody. We were doing multiple different practice areas. We had criminal law. We had PI. We had business law. We had family law for some time frame. We didn't have a consistent system, even though we had a case management system. We didn't build everything in there with consistency. We had our staff spread out across multiple attorneys. There wasn't consistency there. There was no management. It it was a freaking nightmare. And I say that, um, you know, knock on wood, no bar complaints from it, did a great job for the clients. It was me, like everything is burning. And now literally somebody wants to hand me a baby in six months was the experience from that. Um, so in terms of changing, I'll tell you, like we hired a COO for legalese, I don't know, 
three or four months ago, it's finally been like, that's the first time I've really believed in actually having paid for management seven years after I needed it. I just never saw the, I never saw, I never hired the right person. I never saw the right thing. I never had enough in place to allow them the time to get the stuff fixed. Like it was just, it was a lot. Yeah. Um, Some lawyers will find significance by the existence of the fire and solving it. Um, And I would read you from the outside as saying that you like being able to problem solve and find ideas. And they're like, you're hungry for stuff. I mean, one of the things I would have put in the opening if I actually had written it before I said it was one of the things that I am really impressed by you by is that you, notwithstanding your uber level competence in all of these areas, you're being humble and curious to continue to learn. So I think that you're about achieving new things. Were, what was it in that scenario that was like, no, the fires aren't fun to put out. I need to solve them a different way. Was it because it was people and you didn't like managing it? And there's a lot of lawyers that love putting on the cape and that's how they know that things are great because they can come in and swoop and, and take care of them. Just not you, just not the way that you're wired. Ooh, good. This is a, you ask good questions. Um, honestly, so I want to go back to this. So I started out as a prosecutor, did that for over three years did basically all criminal defense for about four. So 2017 into, I guess, into end of 2018, um, 2015, whatever. I had more colleagues die by suicide, stroke, overdose, heart attack in that time frame. I can tell you there were only two colleagues of mine that I know who retired in the like six or seven years right there. There were unfortunately more than that who passed away. Um, and so I think that was part of it was just realizing like, why am I wasting so much fucking time on the same problem over and over again. Cause I never, I never had the mindset of put out the fire and prevent it from coming back up. It was just triage, 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 triage. So, yeah. okay, we have a problem here with intake. Let's jump in and, and resolve that right now. Well, now we have too many cases. So now let's hire somebody, but now wait, now we have an intake. Like it was never problem preventing. It was at best problem mitigating. And so I think a lot of that drove me nuts with it. Um, and then it was but because you were brighter than that, because at the end of the day, you knew that you could create a business that didn't. And so was it the frustration? Like, this is moronic. Like, I'm so much better than having to deal with the same problem over and over again. But, well, why not stay in that routine? Like, what was it that caused you to snap? Because you got to slow down to do it. You have right. to you have to look around. You, you know, like there's a lot of it that's that is a dedicated decision that sometimes the urgent is so present, very difficult to sidestep that to work on the important. So uh, what was it about it that got you to kind of get off of the train? Really, it was, it was knowing my son was going to be born. So cutting the marketing. So that lowered the amount of leads that lowered the amount of cases that allowed us to get rid of some of the staff. It, it allowed me the time to be more specific with the software uh, and I I had Frankenstein together, basically Lawmatics through Zapier and Google Sheets and PandaDocs and Practice Panther and whatever else. For sure, right. Every two to three weeks, one of the programs would change. Oh, it would great. blow all the zaps. So right. now I had right. a program that didn't have that issue. Like there were a lot of things that came together at about that same time frame that were longer term solutions. And the more I found those, the more I was able to spend time on longer term solutions, yeah. the more I realized I didn't need to be stuck in almost any of the day-to-day. 
It's interesting. I have had a similar experience personally. Uh, we call it the mass bloodletting of 2015. And, and that's when we went from nine people down to two to start over. And I think it was a combination of being able to only have two people on the payroll. I mean, we had we had some placement service that was giving us warm bodies just because we had enough that warm bodies were there, but it was good. It wasn't a long-term commitment because we needed the opportunity to stop and re-engineer what we were doing for the thing that I wanted. And uh, I don't know that it was coinciding with when I started losing weight like significantly, but those kinds of life changes, the what you were talking about, like, oh, I, I can see where this is going. And there's none of that that I like. And being able to make that kind of massive, often painful change to make it different, uh, I think is, um, I mean, I've experienced it. And I think a lot of people that I've watched turn successful, there hasn't been a lot of people that have walked in and knew it instinctively, that there had to be a pain point to make that change for a lot of what we we're talking about, which is that you just get into the routine of being busy and putting out the fire, not really thinking about it tactically. All right. Another um, harder question off of this, which is sure. what I have watched experience, what I've personally been experiencing lately, and I'm curious about whether or not you're there. When I survey law firms that are growing, whether you think about it from having a complexity ceiling or the next layer of enlightenment, what I've found is that the team composition needs to change for us to make it to the next level. So uh, I think I'm fond of saying that, that you know, you got everybody in the bus, um, they're in the right seat, uh, you were going to Albuquerque, but all of a sudden the direction that you want to go is in Austin. And it's probably right and proper that you get them off the bus because they didn't sign up to go to Austin. They signed up to go to Albuquerque. So uh, the firms that you're running right now, you've just hired a COO in you, in for legalese marketing. And you may learn that you want one or think about having one in Jordan Law if you don't have one already. Those pivot points, are they things that lead you to think about growing or transforming the firm in a different way? Do you have goals that you're reaching for that says, no, this is going to be scaled. This is going to focus on different things. Or are you comfortable about where things are right now? And you're looking to put those pieces in place to just shore them up to keep letting you live your great life. So here's, here's how I will frame it. I sort of hate goals. And I, I want to be very specific on that. I think you need a strong vision okay. of where you want to go. But then when it comes to goals, goals don't execute. So I then want to create the habits and the consistency of execution to get to that vision or get to those goals. I mean, if you want to call that fine. So from our standpoint, a lot of it is like, you know, getting in a car and saying in GPS, I want to get to point X. So what is the revenue of that? What is the profitability from there? What is the size of the firm from there? What are the day-to-day -day responsibilities? So like in essence, creating, um, I like creating your current accountability chart. So instead of the org chart, the EOS accountability one, but then mm -hmm. creating your ideal accountability chart. You know, right now you as the owner may be in five different seats. But if you know that that's the firm that you like, great. You can start putting those seats on, you know, off of you on somebody else one at a time. The more right. that you have that plan, though, the easier every decision becomes because it's, does it get me closer to that goal? You know, does it get me to the financial number that I want? Does it get me to the size number that I want? Does it get me to the client experience that I want? Um, yep. As opposed to just saying like, oh, well, more marketing is better, but it's not always. Right. 
you and I think you're referencing, or at least what I've always heard is being James Clear's uh, quote from Atomic Habits, saying that we don't rise to the level of our goals, but we fall back to the level of our systems, which I think is kind of where you're going. It's like, I want to focus on that part of it, because all I'm going to do is shore up moving it up from the bottom, you know, that the backstop of that just gets higher and higher and higher. And I may have a goal that I eventually want to get to whatever level that is as I grow, but it's because I set that vision up of saying, that's what I'm growing that to, or I'm growing it by the backstop as opposed to aspirationally. Is that fair? Yeah. I, I, one of my, one of my favorite newsletters that I wrote, which is way vain, but I don't like all of the ones that I write. I like this one. So I wrote about um, we figured out that from our average PI case value, 10 cases per month, 120 years, like $968,000 in the firm. So we came up with the goal of, or get the vision of, or goal of doing that. I don't, we're not going to do that. I don't think we're going to do that for 2023, but we're on the path for it. So then we said from that, we need this number of leads to get there. We need this number of referral sources of these kind of types to get to those leads. And then to stay top of mind with those people, we need to send them this many cases. We need to connect with them for this many lunches and keep them over here and do this and do that and really breaking it down. So now that when I come in, there's a series of things I know I need to do every week. I need to write a certain number of cards to people. I need to review a certain number of other businesses. I need to upload a certain number of Google My Business pictures, all these things that I know happen every week. And then you have your more 12 week year planning, your traction planning, your uh, four yep. disciplines of execution thing on the more specific things, knowing that I've got these every week habits that are going to be enough to get me where I want to go, assuming I guessed right, assuming I execute them correctly. But you know, you can always reassess those as you get closer and closer. All right. I'm going to give you the option of two variations of a question that play off of that. So the questions are either which of the systems that you've created was the hardest for you to, uh, you know, you think about or put in place. Or the second variation of the question is systems like that, which are the ones that you find hardest for lawyers to agree to put in place by virtue of the fact that they are lawyers, that they just don't get it and that they're trained against it. So you can answer either of those two questions. I'll, I'll, take, this, I'll take the second one. Anything well, you need to be self-aware and be like letting you know I'm terrible at all these things, but actually you're quite honest about the stuff that you suck at. So I'll give you a pass on that one. Thank you. And that's what I'm going to delegating, like knowing what of those things somebody else is better suited for is the biggest thing when it comes to these systems. It doesn't have to always be you. If you look at it from the standpoint of what things have to be me, look, my wife has to do her trust account or our trust account. She's never going to pawn that off on anybody else. Fine. You know, we have to do legal. We have to be the ones giving legal advice. We can't have a non-lawyer give legal advice. Fine. And then looking at what you want to do. I enjoy running my level 10 meeting every Monday for my firm. I enjoy networking. I enjoy setting the vision. And then everything else I try to get off my plate to somebody who's going to enjoy it more and be better at it than I am. And that's where I think we struggle the most. So this is interesting because I think I agree with you uh, in in concept, in an ideal setting that, first of all, I agree that there's always going to be something, somebody better than you to do things that you probably uh, are currently doing. But I don't think that most lawyers would think about it that way. Most of them would want to hold on to things that they're delegating because A, in fact, they think that they're better. And often, in fact, they are better, whether it's writing or proofreading or whatever else, they're constantly correcting what is only 80% of the work. So uh, I challenge that a little bit. Do you find scenarios that um, people have uh, that you can help solve somebody delegating something that only gets to a certain level of better as a, or is it necessary that 
who you're delegating to always outperforms what you're capable of doing. Uh, I see what you mean. Um, if you are not happy with how they are doing something and you have created the right system and structure, then you have the wrong person. Now, yeah. what does the right structure and system look like? That's going to be different in every situation. A lot of times you just didn't train them well enough. And I was going to go there. I think that there's yeah. the training element of it that you probably have to meet as a as a check mark too. Like the system's good, the structure's in place. I have invested the right amount to train. The training is 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 effective for the right person. And yet, if all of those things don't work, now they're not effective, right? And I've not now it's the person kind of going forward uh, off of that. But you also make me think of something interesting, which is part of the reason why automation works so well, because it's the computer. Like it won't get it wrong. If I've got it set up, I don't have to rely. I've, I've eliminated a lot of the variability of that. And more of it's more a kind of a management skill more than anything else. Like, and, and not, you know, like make sure you push the right button, not necessarily that I get the right person with judgment making expertise. Yes. And from that standpoint, then you need the person who either has better technical skills to keep the computer system working or better soft skills for when, you know, when you get Mrs. Jones, who wants to have everything explained to her four times, when you have somebody answering the phone or the paralegal who truly is empathetic and cares and goes through and has the patience because they're not doing a hundred stupid things that could have been done by a computer, they can actually sit down with that client and truly treat them the right way and, and customize their experience enough to provide the best value because they're not stuck on all the stupid stuff that, you know, filling out contracts and spending 30 minutes for every retainer agreement to go out when it's the same thing, except for three lines that are different. And in, in then once they're in place, so this is kind of interesting because you've taken the automation, uh, not only within your firm, but what you set up for other clients, clients of legalese marketing, you've set up the automation and you have created a situation where the people that are going to be there operating it, like what you're talking about, either soft skills or the, the technical skills that are on the computer, but that the law firms that are using this are limited to employing the people that can exercise the highest level of judgment. And you've reduced the things, the people that don't require judgment because of the automation uh, from there. And that's increases profitability, um, increases their ability to scale because you can add more on top of a computer than you can on top of people or trying to find somebody that um, is the equal of the judgment-making ability of people. That, that's a labor issue. It's a hard, like, hard thing to go and find. So now you can scale it on top of something that's more structurally sound. The clients that you work with, once you have things up and running, I'm focusing mostly on the legalese marketing side, right? And I'm not sure. your clients or your law firm. But the the clients that you're working with, do you find that when they're in place, they're interested in growing and scaling? Or is it just the first time that they can exhale because of the amount of margin that you've created for them? So in our, in our mission statement, or in my mission statement, is helping growth-minded law firm owners run a firm they can be proud of and live a life that's even better. What? To be fair... When I say growth, I don't need you to grow top line revenue. Maybe you want to grow profitability. Maybe you want to grow more time with your family. Maybe you want to grow yourself as a person. I'm fine with that. But if you don't have the thought process of wanting some sort of change somewhere in your business life or what that affords you, yeah. I'm not the right fit. I'm going to be too expensive. You're not going to want to put in the time for what we do. There are ways to do it easier and faster that aren't as sustainable. 
Um, and so it's just not going to be a good fit. I love it. I, I, those are the people I want to work with as well. Both the folks that are my clients of my substantive stuff that I do and my companies, the clients that uh, coaching stuff that I work on is I'm looking for people that are trying to improve themselves, that they're going somewhere in large part, because I think as we continue to reach forward or try to grow out of something, it keeps us alive. It keeps us moving. I'm really not interested in hanging around with a lot of people that are just stagnating. I mean, it's kind of like they're on the first step to rotting. It's like, I'm good. I'm good. I don't need to be around that. I'm not interested in doing that. And it's just much better life. So to that point, and as we get towards the end of the interview, um, you've done this fantastic job of putting yourself in a great position. And now everyone around you has got this great judgment-making ability and you're sailing. What is the next horizon for you? What are you growing towards? What is it that you're looking to expand and reach for that's new and uncharted for you? Me personally or business-wise? No, you personally, I think I want to start with. Okay, so I am fascinated by AI. Like that is that is the next thing for me. In what manner? I have no idea. But I like here's where I want to start with. Um, it's amazing to me the amount of people that now think they are copywriters because of Chat GPT. <laughs> and I hate to burst your bubble. Um, you're not a copywriter. That being said, I think if you are a copywriter and you're not using Chat GPT, you're a huge, you're wasting a ton of time. You're charging your clients too much. You're not getting enough accomplished because you should be able to, to produce four times, six times, eight times as much content using a lot of it as the framework. And so- and By really the way, and just changing the prompt, give me six or give me eight. It's exactly the same input. If you say, give me eight variations or six variations, you should be able to do it and each one of those just by the way that you change the prompt with AI these days. Well, that, but then, and go back into it and put it actually in the firm's voice. But if you sure. don't need to, if you don't need to write every single word, but you can write 20%, like if you can write, you know, 80, 80, 20, whatever, the uh, 80% yeah. delegation rule, if AI can do it 80%, then you can get five times as much done adding the 20% on top of it. Like that's the part that fascinates me going forward because we are, we are in the infancy of this technology the what's coming down the pipe from you know google stuff and with microsoft putting a billion dollars into open ai and having it in bing like as cool as i think chat gpt is the thing that's a hundred thousand times more knowledgeable is coming in the next six months i'm so interested to see what that does and i want to make sure that people have the right skills to accomplish it you know yeah. this is going to be the next step of automation taking away factory jobs and you know, technology taking away farming jobs. Like this is the next step, not that nobody's gonna be able to find work, but that it's gonna be different. And so staying on top of how law firm owners can maximize that part of it um, is what I'm really focused on right now, personally. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. And I think that there's probably two areas that I'm interested in as well. Uh, the first, as you were saying, this is the first time that sort of white collar or knowledge work is now at threat from technology. It was always kind of like building a car or, you know, just in factories or blue collar stuff. Um, and so it's interesting to see that the nature of lawyers who, so I, I've seen it, that, that I think the distinction is going to be, um, you know, not lawyers versus AI, but lawyers who use uh, artificial intelligence and lawyers that don't and the quality of that. I think the other area that things are growing into is, um, you know, how reliable is something? So in other words, your uh, ability to ascribe it value because it is trustworthy and because it is 
reviewed so, something about it there was that 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 a human went beyond what the ai was doing but leveraged it probably is going to be its own marker of uh, a distinction would you agree with that um yeah i mean like to take this you know i think right now we are still in the marketing side of this the copywriting side of this but to take this for the next step of lawyer i know there was the thing about the robot lawyer arguing a case and it didn't pan out but let's say you have a camera focused on the jury and the ai knows facial features in the micro expression of who's interested and not interested and you know from watching that going into your closing argument that jurors two six and 12 are the ones that are most on the fence and the ai knows that they seem to resonate with more emotional appeal now in your closing argument you know to put more of that in you know or they yeah. seem to be more logical well now you put in more of the facts and circumstances in there like there's a really good way to to hybridize between the ability of this computer to figure out massive amounts of data in real time at scale with your ability as a lawyer as a knowledge worker as an influencer as a salesman per salesperson whatever that's going to look like um in a crazy way where we are all going to be like human cyborgs at some point how is that any different but where you're going uncharted in your business aren't they going to be the same thing or do you have something completely different for the business oh well okay so um well that's why I asked from the personal standpoint because no, I, I did know... that's why but I that personal one is so linked to your business I thought for sure that's where things are going to be going in that direction too no uh, maybe probably okay. I, I just I don't I don't know enough about it now like you know we we started the first 40 minutes of this is like this is my story and this is where I screwed up and this is what I learned from screwing up right. I haven't you know I haven't yet uh, unleashed Skynet on the world to create a Terminator to be a real thing <laughs> to know the change from this so I want to dive into that stuff I mean from okay. a business standpoint look there's always I'm always going to relate to the struggling law firm owner or even the struggling entrepreneur who's really trying to get a business that allows them to live a life, to show up for their family, to set things up better for the next generation. Everything I do I, for the rest of my life until I retire, whatever that looks like, is going to go back to that in some manner. So it's really staying at the uh, the front end of what's going on in the industry or industries to figure out how that ties back into my life and then from there our clients lives and then from there everybody else's life and you're probably given very few opportunities to do this on the your show the one that you host but if people are more interested in learning more about your services give the plug for how they can learn about what you do and get in contact with you there we go. Uh, LegalEaseMarketing.com, E-A-S-E. -E. So it is a dad joke, but not E-S-E like legal ease, but legal ease uh, along those lines. I've got a weekly newsletter that I do that is written, uh, I would say 100% by me. There's a couple articles that have been written by ChatGPT. I have specifically acknowledged that, have told you where it is, have given you its answers. It cracks me up having the AI talk about the downside of AI itself as an AI. <laughs> um, and things like that. So that comes out every week. You can go to uh, jordano.com or jordanostroff.com to sign up. They'll both go to the same place. And then otherwise, we've got you know the Facebook group, Solutions for Lawyers by Lawyers. We just passed a thousand people in the group. We've done nothing other than I hope providing great value to get people in there. We have not spammed and at everybody and whatever else to uh, to get a push. And you know it's been fun. And hopefully we've helped some people. I think it's a great system that you've got set up because when I go to the website, you know, once I've learned a little bit about you, I can hit to the next steps. And when I get to the next steps, I can schedule just a discussion, whether it's, you know, taking an audit about where things stand or trying to figure out what I should be interested in. I like actionable things like that. 
Um, so I think you've done a great job of providing value on that first ask because you know sometimes it can be scary, especially for lawyers that might be once bitten twice shy with marketing. I mean, you're not the first marketing company to come around to say, come talk to me about something. And so you know the story, not only because you have a practice, but you've thought about it from their perspective. And so make something valuable in that initial conversation, I think is a, a great way of saying, hey, try out our thinking and see whether or not it's something that jives with what you need. And if that's the case, let's continue a conversation. Well, thank you so much. And I definitively take no credit for what you just said, because I have had nothing to do with what it says on our website or how it looks or how it's designed. That is all uh, Greg and the rest of the team. So the uh, finding a good culture fit, you know, passing on the right, setting the right vision, finding the right people, I don't, whatever it is, I'm, I'm very lucky. And I think that's a great place to leave it because, you know, as I mentioned in the opener, you're living a life that I think a lot of lawyers should be striving for in terms of designing a life and doing something that serves them rather than being a slave to their uh, firm or just not not taking advantage of this tremendous opportunity that they have. And so, you know, I would be wanted to be in business with you, not just because of the services that you provide, but the kind of the model of the life that you're living. And I would add one more thing, which is that if you don't follow Jordan on social media outside of it, just to see that in fact is living such a great life, do that as well, because nothing more heartwarming or charming than watching you deal with your kid. I know it's probably carefully scripted that we're seeing the right moments and not what oh, it's like to raise a toddler. No, but <laughs> I had the uh, I had the smash the iPad story. I had the my kid. My kid's about to be five, and he's like in the one percentile for height. So he's like the size of a two two and a half year old dude. He took off his shirt the other day. He made him so mad. I thought he was gonna fight me. Like I have built a little Florida man. <laughs> so it is I, I I wish I was smart enough to make up some of the hilarious shit that he does. That's I funny. am not that uh, I'm not there. That being That's, said, okay. For anybody, if you are interested in the weirdest moment in your life, and this is not something that we offer, you have to find somebody else, but do like a true personal branding session, like really talk to somebody who breaks you down into the viability of you as a brand. It's yeah. the weirdest conversation I've ever had. If you are vain, it's probably great. If you are modest, it's so terrifying. But like, ultimately, I am a lifestyle brand, which is a weird concept as a lawyer and a running and marketing company. But well, that's what this breaks down to. But it's clear that it's been all the way through, whether it's the Hawaiian shirts or the fact that on your About Us page on the law firm, you got your Halloween uh, you know, picture where you're dressed up like a shark. That's the lifestyle brand. And it's a way of distinguishing who you are. And by the way, you know who you're going to be getting as a lawyer when they contact you. And I would imagine as a marketing and kind of business running consultant as well. Well, listen, you've been great in terms of giving the time that you have. First of all, I want to thank you for turning over the reins. Hopefully I haven't destroyed the place uh, being in charge of interviewing you. But I also want we'll to find out when the episode airs. I was going to say, see how many views with the dislikes are, unsubscribed, uh, whatever it is. If you have people leave the group, then it was completely my fault. Uh, I'll do what I can to bring him back. But I also want to thank you for being willing to be the subject off of it as well. I, I told you, I think people deserve to hear from you. But at the same time, I think it takes courage to share all the stuff that you're doing. So I'm glad to have given you the opportunity to um, let yourself shine from it because I think everyone deserves to hear that. So thank you for being a great guest, Jordan. Thank you so much for uh, being willing to host, man. And I guess that's it. Uh, if you enjoyed this, join the Facebook group, Solutions for Lawyers by Lawyers. And then we'll see you back here for the next episode, Thursdays yeah, at 6. See, that's what I forgot. I forgot the closer. <laughs> the CTA, the call to action, the most important thing. 
No, uh, but seriously, thank you everybody for your time uh, watching this, listen to it. I hope you got a ton of value from this. That's what I'm trying to do. We all have a limited amount of time. Hopefully we spend it doing the things we like to do with the people we like doing it with. Thank you for listening to this episode of Exhibit A Attorneys. If you're interested in becoming the Exhibit A of Successful Attorney, please check us out at LegalEaseMarketing.com, E-A-S-E.